Leading anything is hard, especially when the mission is deeply challenging and the resources are scarce. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, where we have meaningful conversations with leaders about growing healthy organizations. Your host is Neil Hart, and this podcast is brought to you by the Mergon Foundation, a resource partner to ministries who expand God's kingdom and bring hope and restoration to communities across Africa and the Middle East. It's great to be with you today for our next episode of Elevate. Have you ever wondered about the best ways to resource your ministry? Today I'm with David Denmark, who leads the McClellan Foundation out of Chattanooga, Tennessee in the United States. And we'll be speaking about resourcing your ministry. David, I've read the story of how in 1857 Thomas McClellan made a covenant with God Having come to terms with his own fallen nature and the grace of God through Christ, he covenanted control of his life and the proceeds to God Almighty. What a great story. Tell us a bit more about McClellan. Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to be with you this morning, Neil. Thanks for inviting me into this really important conversation. Um, yeah, the McClellan Foundation um, was started in 1945 and for the entirety of the 20th century, the McClellan family had made their wealth in the insurance industry, but specifically they made their wealth by solving problems in the insurance, insurance industry. And that's important to note because when they created the foundation two weeks after the end of the Second World War, they brought that problem-solving ethos into the foundation. And so they wanted to, to use their wealth to solve kingdom problems mm. instead of only solving business problems in which they use to create the wealth. And so we'll unpack this later on, but that's really where I first learned the adage or the saying that in general, not always, but in general, people like to give their money the way that they made their money. Mm. And while that may not be true for all givers, it was certainly true of my principles in the McClellan Foundation. So we've been in existence since 1945, we're in our 70, what, 60 year, right now. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so we're all about trying to use the corpus to figure out what are the problems that are hindering or limiting or holding down the growth of Christ's kingdom. And we like to apply those resources to solve those problems. So that's a little bit about the, the foundation, a little bit about me personally, um, engineer by training, Mm -hmm. I've had two jobs in my life, and McClellan is the second one. I did a tour with uh, the Bell System as an engineer, the AT&T Bell System, and then came over to McClellan in 2002. I started off doing program work. A relationship manager is the South African term. Yeah. Um, and then in 2010, the board asked me to serve as president or executive director. As we kind of jump into this topic a little bit, David, uh, let's start off with a biblical understanding of giving. Um, before we start off, off speaking about receiving, um, you know, the scripture often has these tensions and I see tension even in the giving. So there's the, the, the sort of left hand, right hand, don't let your, your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that sort of scenario. There's... And then there's on the other side of the road, there's the you know, scriptures that, that say things like, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Um, how do we think about giving? And give us some perspective about that. So personally, I think giving is really 
a belief issue more than it is a conversation around duty or obedience. You know, I mean, we often think of you got to be a good, obedient tither. Yeah. And I, although that's not, it's not less than obedience, I think it's more than obedience. And to me, giving is a belief issue. It's two, two aspects of that. Whether I give or not is determined by what I believe about my sonship. Hmm. Um, and then the amount that I give is determined by what I believe about my future inheritance. And so really wrestling through that I give or not is a belief in sonship or not. And the amount that I give is really tied to, in my opinion, um, what I believe about my future and my future inheritance. We, we use statements all the time, like God owns it all. Mm. And that's a true statement, but 99 out of a hundred times when myself and other people say that we always think about assets, you know, and we always think about stuff, <laughs> but the reality of scripture is what Jesus actually purchased on the cross was me and my soul. Mm. I mean, that's why, you know, Jesus has the audacity and the authority to say, hey, what you need to do is love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, that's pretty comprehensive. He didn't even mention your stuff. You know, and, and again, another place which is really bold and crazy is when, when Paul writes in Corinthians that, you know, God, you're not even free to use your sexuality the way you want to. You have mm -hmm. to honor God with your sexuality. Yeah. I mean, he owns my sexuality. And so if he owns that about me, what else does he own? Well, everything. Yeah. And so really thinking about what I give back to him, when we just think about tithing and stuff, it really misses the whole point that, no, I, David, am under lordship. If I believe that I'm under lordship, then I'm, I'm going to give because it's all his and I'm all his. Mm -hmm. But then the amount that I give is really determined about what I believe about my future inheritance. Because if I truly believe that this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, as we sing in church, <laughs> then I'm free to just use my money to be comfortable enough for the relative duration of my stay. And I'm free to give away the rest. Um, but it's only if I believe that this world is not my home yeah. that I'm free to be generous to that degree. So that's where it's correlated that's in my great. mind to a belief, mm. not to a duty or an obedience. So that's on the personal side. Um, on the institution side, it's where it's a personal issue on the, I mean, it's a belief issue on the personal side. I think it's a stewardship issue on the institutional side. Um, it, at really at two, another two levels, mm -hmm. because at the foundation level, the foundation knows it's all God's money. And so the foundation needs to be a good steward of it. And then as the human operator of the foundation or the program officers working in the foundation, we have a stewardship responsibility to our stakeholders, which is the board of directors. So really in any conversation with a ministry leader, it's good for them to understand or at least appreciate or recognize that it's there's two levels of stewardship going on on this side of the table, you know, and, and they feel stewards of the call, you know, on that side. That really sets up an interesting challenge that I know that we're going to unpack a little bit later. Um, and it, it contributes to why this conversation is often so very hard. Mm. And that is from the philanthropy side 
of the transaction, it really is business. I mean, it's, it's about business. It's about stewardship. But then on the ministry side, it's so very often personal. Yeah. Um, because God gave them the call and they, you know, grew it up from nothing. And it's just their child and it's mm. their heart and their passion and their soul. And all that is legitimate and awesome. But that does set up a little bit of a, a challenge that we have to negotiate together, that it's a very personal thing interacting with a very business thing. Mm. Uh, I want to kind of move on to the conversation about um, receiving and resourcing uh, one's ministry. And you've been in the, this role in McClellan for many years now, and you've seen thousands of leaders come through those doors. Um, and David, you, you must have seen some very interesting things in that time. Uh, perhaps we can just listen to some anecdotal stories uh, about the, the process of giving and receiving as people come in to your offices in McClellan. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing it, it is kind of, well, it's not kind of, it is a sad interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the all too typical dysfunction that exists when you mix money and ministry. And it's really a little bit, we just already alluded to it. It's because of the, the collision of personal and business. Um, but, but also there's a lot of other dynamics at play. And, and I believe that half of the problem is the ministry leaders, in my experience, and half the problem is the philanthropist, you know, the, the funding entity or the funding person. And, yeah. and let me explain what I mean by that. And far too often, the, the ministry leader comes here with this attitude of having their hat in their hand and, you know, almost a begging mentality. And and they impute onto the giver far too much power mm. and authority. Mm. I mean, they, 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 they impute or they imply to the giver, you know, you have all the money, so you must have all the answers. Well, the givers are all just fallen, broken men and women, just like everyone else. And so, I mean, that, there's a part of that that appeals to our broken nature where we love to be godlike. Yeah. And so when we hear statements like, if you don't fund this project, we can't go baptize those people. Mm. Well, in that statement, you just imputed godlike power on the giver. If I give, people go to heaven. If I don't give, people do not go to heaven. Well, that is crazy. Yeah. That's exactly what you infer by using that kind of language, ministry leader. And so on the, on the philanthropist side is, you know, if we don't have things in our life to keep our hearts in check, the logical conclusion, and this is just my perspective, okay, this isn't written in any book anywhere, but in my experience, left unchecked in the heart of a giver, the only logical conclusion is either cynicism or arrogance. Hmm. Left unchecked, you know, if it's not sanctified, if, if this dynamic of giving is not sanctified, the logical conclusion is cynicism or arrogance, because then we start saying and thinking like, you know, we do have all the answers because we have all the money. Mm. And I've seen that project tried four different times in East Africa and it'll never work. Mm. It'll never work. Well, how do you know that this is not the time that they actually get it right? You know, I mean, you don't know, but yeah. 
But left unchecked, you just get that cynicism. Like, oh, because like you said, we do see a lot. You know, we did 464 projects last year. Sure. We see a lot of ministry leaders. And it's real easy to slip into that. Like, man, we've seen it a dozen times. It'll never work. Yeah. Well, we don't know. I always remind myself and my team about the story of Joshua. I mean, just imagine if Joshua came into McClellan looking for funding. He has a strategy to take the city called Jericho for the Lord. And he says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I need a hundred grand and I'm going to march around the city seven times. I'm going <laughs> to blow horns. I'm going to beat pots. And on the last day, we're going to scream. How long would it take me to say, get out of here? <laughs> you know? But that was the Holy Spirit's yeah. strategy. Yeah. So I just think that in, in the heart of the funder, we've got to leave room for the mystery of God or we will become cynics every time. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's really beginning already to shape uh, some of the things that I, I was really hoping would come through. Um, and if we if we dive a little deeper into that, in, just into the heart of the ministry leader. So one of the reasons why you gave that it's so hard uh, for for ministry leaders to ask for money is is uh, is poor theology or how poor theology can really affect that. But there are many other things. I've heard it said so many times, this is the hardest thing I have to do in my job, and, and that from ministry leaders. Why is it so hard? What do you think it is in our identity as leaders or just the human condition? What are the, what are the things that make this so hard? I think it's important for you and I both to just say to the ministry leader, it is hard. Yeah. And it just is hard. And it, it's okay that you feel that it is hard because it is. Yeah. And just to kind of just say that, I mean, yeah. they, I think so often ministry leaders think, but it shouldn't be so hard. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it, maybe that's a degree conversation, but mm -hmm. it is hard to ask for money. It is. We get that. Um, I think what makes it so hard is the power imbalance, the perceived power imbalance. But also what we mentioned too at the very beginning of our time is it's just almost impossible for a founder, especially of a ministry, to not feel personal about the work. And it's impossible for a hired professional to operate the foundation for it not just to be work and business. You know, I want to do it as a ministry, but it is just business. And so we both need to work on making it less personal and more personal. <laughs> Um, depending on what side you're coming from, and so that we can just talk about the work. Yeah, you know, it's the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. You know, if the funder is really clear, no, this is the Lord's money, mm -hmm. and the ministry leader is really clear, no, this is the Lord's calling and the Lord's ministry, then we can talk about it a little bit more objectively. And that way, if you get a yes, you don't become prideful and think it's all about you. It's just the work. And if you get a no, you don't get your heart devastated because it's not about you. It's just about the work. And yeah. just that project is awesome. It just in the line with where the Lord has called us to go yeah. as a funder, you yeah. know. Um, and so I think that what makes it so hard is that collision of personal and business in a context of a pretty radical perceived power imbalance. Mm. I enjoyed reading a statement recently in the Praxis training material that uh, that we engaged in, uh, David. And uh, the way they wrote it was so good. They said, we approach potential donors as whole persons who may be called to join the mission, 
rather than solely as funders upon whose resources we depend. Do you feel like we are often asked to join the mission or are we just simply asked for funding? And again, this not to beat a drum too much, but this is a great fruit of that bad tree that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. where the, often the ministry leaders um, come as beggars, not as brokers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is more times than not, I know the foundation feels like an ATM machine and, you know, a, a partner who's, we're called to steward resources and our partners, ministry partners are called to do work. And so it's, it's a, it should be this natural, beautiful synergy, you know, yeah. very symbiotic relationship. I can't be successful without them. They can't be successful without us I'm under the Holy Spirit, of course. Um, but yeah, what, what we often feel is more like just, hey, give us the money and let's go do the work. Yeah. And, you know, you're sitting up there in, in those fancy offices with those fancy suits. That's actually a, a selfish perspective and a very um, insensitive perspective. Mm -hmm. But we feel just as called as any ministry leader. I feel really honored by being drawn into the mission. And uh, you know, perhaps if you're listening, one of the things that you may not realize about those who are managing funding on behalf of, of the kingdom of God is we carry a deep passion for mission, we carry a deep passion for God's kingdom, uh, probably not too differently to a leader that approaches us for funding. And it's, it's deeply honoring for us to be invited in and to be treated as partners on that. Uh, different functions, uh, producing something slightly different, but really integrally connected into, into what we're doing. David, what are the things that, that make you feel honored when someone comes in the front door? I think there's two different things mm -hmm. that a ministry leader um, would even be bold to say should do, but at least could do um, to be more of a, to pull the funder, at least the McClellan funders mm -hmm. into a relationship versus just a transaction. Um, and the first is I kind of mentioned earlier, I didn't unpack it. The, the mindset between you're not a beggar, you're a broker. You know, if you think about, like a stockbroker who's just selling a stock to a person, an investor, which is what philanthropists are. They're kingdom investors. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not at all apologetic when he calls me and says, hey, you need to buy this stock because it'll round out your portfolio. It's a really good investment. There's a lot of mm -hmm. cool things going to happen mm -hmm. as a result. And if I buy it or don't, they're not offended. They just call the next guy. And see, ministry leaders really are brokers. I mean, they're kingdom brokers. And the stock they're selling, quote, is the name of their ministry, you know, and it's just all about diversifying the giver's portfolio, engaging the giver in a, in a sector they may not be involved in. It could be really exciting to learn about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's really a brokerage perspective and mindset, not a begging mm -hmm. mindset. When a, when a ministry can create a healthy dependence on behalf of a giver, where the giver is actually dependent on the ministry leader for the intel in a sector, in a geography. Mm. That's a really interesting dynamic. That's and it's a really good place for a ministry leader to be. I want to bring it down to some of the brass tacks and, and you're making me think about some of the professionalized pieces of this. So when we professionalize uh, grant writing um, and we, we, get, we get people in who really, really just 
good at this, professionals at this. Um, I mean, do you, do you notice the difference between someone who's doing what you've just described, who's drawing you in, who's honoring you, who's, in, who's educating you, who's drawing you into the mission, and someone who's maybe a professional grant writer? Is it something that's pretty easy for you to spot the difference between those two? Yeah, I don't know that I could always read a grant request and tell whether a third party independent professional writer wrote it or not. You know, maybe mm -hmm. six out of 10 times I could um, because it feels very objective. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that that's always necessary. I think if, whether it's the ministry leader or a hired professional, if they just take these approaches, it really doesn't matter who is actually generating the document if what they're communicating is the right heart, mm -hmm. which are the things that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that it's requisite for ministry to hire a professional as long as the ministry is addressing these ideas of it's not personal, it's business, you're not begging your brokering, I mean, those types of things yeah. in, the, in the request. We mentioned it earlier. It's not always true, but it's usually true that people like to give their money the way they made it. So when you're presenting your story, when you're presenting your mission, when you're presenting the things that you're called to go do, mm. so know who your audience is and edit your story accordingly. You know, if, if your giver made his wealth in the stock markets, you want to use language like return on investment, you know, include a lot of tables, include some of the statistics of your work. You know, if your giver made his money in the sports, you know, their wealthy sports rugby star, mm -hmm. it's your story edited for your audience. Mm -hmm. And whether you do that natively or you hire a professional to help you do that, I think mm -hmm. that's less important as doing it that way. Yeah. Is there anything that you haven't shared that you would want to give advice to if, if I was to come and knock on your door as a grant seeker tomorrow? What would the advice be that you haven't given? You know, I guess the only thing we really haven't touched on is, and this is dealing more with institutions um, or within families um, that are multiple generations of wealth. It's really important to know that you know, ministry leader, the person that you're interacting with, where are they in that life cycle of the giver? <laughs> I mean, if it's the first generation wealth, if, if they're the people that made the money initially, then they're going to be a little bit more of a risk taker. I mean, because then their mind's hype. I'll give all the money away because I'll just go make some more of it. Yeah, more generous in general, a little bit more of a risk taker. If it's second generation wealth, and again, these are all generalities, um, but it's common that the second generation could be a little bit more distant from even interested in being a giver because often they've had a lot of um, heartache associated with their folks that made the money, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the folks were gone a lot or working a lot, you know, whatever those things could be, maybe mm -hmm. not always, but could be. And then when you get third and fourth generations really down the road, then it becomes just more and more business-like because they really want to do a really good job stewarding grandpa's wealth, mm -hmm. you know, and that's good. They should be thinking that way. Um, but you as a funder, I mean, a grant seeker, need to recognize that and be sensitive to that and to honor that because mm. that's their calling, just like you feel really clear about your calling. So the one thing I really hadn't mentioned on, and it's really a nuance of tailoring your giver to yeah. where you are in your life cycle. Yeah. Even within that giver, 
mentality, you need to understand where that giver is in wherever the wealth comes from. Because it just changes how you need to be thinking about the partnership. Mm. Um, it's not a radical change, but it's an important nuance mm. change. That is very practical and very helpful advice. David, this has been such a rich conversation. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your time and uh, the involvement that you have with us at Mergon and with many other foundations around the world. And uh, yeah, we just thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. If you enjoyed the session with Dave Denmark on resourcing your ministry, there are a few process items I'd encourage you to do with your leadership team. Firstly, how could you tailor your funding request to be in keeping with the life stage of your organization? If you're at the entrepreneurial stage, how can you find multiple entrepreneurial funding? Or if you're at a scaling stage, how can you connect that life stage to the kind of funder that you're working with? Secondly, how could you educate and include your existing or future funders into the mission of your organization? Thank you for joining us on this episode of Elevate, brought to you by the Mergon Foundation. We trust you found this conversation valuable and hope you will join us for more on the topic of leadership and organizational health.